Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Payne, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention Dean's anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, National NBA Writer at The Athletic. We got an exciting episode this week because typically this is the part where I say, out west we have Anthony Slater, out east we have Fred Katz. We have neither of those gentlemen today. What we have, with all due respect to my friends and colleagues, is even better. We got, we got Howard Beck. The legendary, the one and only Howard Beck, who has not been on tampering before. And Howard, as much as I love you, this is how I'm going to bring you in because you got a couple years on me and that, that just makes me feel good these days. If if you're old like we are, you know Howard from the Kobe and Shaq Lakers days at the LA Daily News. More likely for you youngsters, the New York Times, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, and exciting things yet to come. Mr. Beck, what's up, my friend? <laughs> Mr. Amick. <laughs> Good to be with you, my friend. Uh, thank you for that kind introduction. Mostly kind, 95% kind, other than the <laughs> dig at my age part. But you know what? You get to this stage of life, you're just you're just happy to still be here, frankly. You know, I'm still breathing. Don't be setting um, the bar that low. Come on now. <laughs> it's, it's been, you know, it's been some rough going of late. But no, uh, great to be with you. And um, yes, great to see you. Uh, eager to jump in. Hope people aren't watching this. I hope they're only listening so that they're not seeing this unsightly bandaid on my face. Speaking of aging, had to do some like light That's dermatology right. you, today at the doctor. The YouTube but, audience you know. can deal. Yeah, the bandaid. We we were joking off air. It's a, it's just a hat tip to Malik Monk. He's had a wonderful sure. year with the Sacramento yeah. Kings. His is notorious or kind of uh, infamous for wearing a bandaid. And you know, you just think little little six man of the year consideration there, right? There we go. That that's ex- that's exactly <laughs> it. I'm trying to um, get in the head and the, the the mindset of all of the candidates for all of the awards. So every day I'll switch it up and do something different. Today it's the Malik Monk Band Aid. Uh, tomorrow, um, I, I I I I don't know. Is, is there a um, is what like what would the the Mike Brown Coach of the Year signature thing be? I'll put my glasses back on. I don't know. Uh, now, nah, I mean, because I, I, I know you don't want to be running wind sprints like he did in training camp and saying, you know, turn the mother effing jets on. I think you could try that, but you might. I, I might have to light kids. a beam in my apartment in my little Brooklyn apartment. Um, that would I work. Could do that. That would work. Sticking with the Sacramento themes. 
Indeed, indeed. Uh, I didn't even mention, last but certainly not least, Howard and I are college rivals. He went to UC Davis for some reason, as opposed to my alma mater, <laughs> Sacramento State. Uh, on this week's episode, just to give the listeners a little little uh, foreshadowing here, um, listen, the playoffs, Howard, are, are coming uh, fast and furious, and the play-in is coming fast and furious, and we are certainly going to break down some of the action there. Uh, I tend to be somewhat west heavy so i'm excited to have you kind of pull me out east with some of your perspective with some of those teams as well so we'll get into the latest on that front um i know it's a little tired it's a little cliche we are going to have a little obligatory mvp talk because we're getting closer on one of the tighter mvp races in recent history and and certainly uh, also uh the collective bargaining agreement uh first time talking about that on this pod since the deal was done a couple days ago um a lot of interesting Nuggets and changes and developments on that front. Uh, you know, Draymond Green uh, had a few things to say on Twitter about it. We'll get into that. Um, and then since we joked about the Kings at the top, I think at the bottom, I, I love something, Howard, that you tweeted yesterday, uh, retweeting Chris Biederman from the Sacramento Bee about should the Kings hang a Pacific Division banner? It's a very, uh, very local debate, but uh, I'll get your thoughts on that at the end. Let's start on the playoffs, brother. You covered the Lakers uh, uh, quite some time ago. A storied era, you know their organization well. They have a lot of characters, you know, from back then that remain. And the LeBron James era has been just this wild um, contrast and you know of uh, of kind of experiences. Because you know, if you win a championship uh, of any kind, there's only one one kind to win for any organization. That kind of gets you most of the time the VIP ticket for perpetuity, right? But the Lakers are trying to win that thing every year. So LeBron wins the chip in 2020 in the bubble. But if you if you take that away, which is not fair, but we're going to do it because that's what we do in the media, uh, it has been a rough go in a lot of his Lakers tenure. So here they are at the end of this season with all the ups and downs they've had. The Darvin Ham era, trying to establish defense, the Russell Westbrook experience, eventually parting ways with Russ, injuries to LeBron, injuries to AD. Howard, the Lakers have won six out of seven games uh, with this new cast of characters. Uh, as we sit here chatting, as I pull up the old standings to cheat, they are in seventh place uh, as of this recording, a half game behind the Warriors and a half game behind the Clippers. You know, very possible, if not probable at this point, to get out of the play-in tournament. And, and this is a Lakers question, but also just a West at large, is can you ever remember seeing a conference where the back end not only was this muddled and this interesting down the stretch, but was full of teams that you'd could, if you squint hard enough, see a path where, my goodness, they might have deep playoff runs. Do we have title contenders here? Like, how do you see this chaos right now? Well, um, as you kindly pointed out to start the pod, um, I'm old and I've been covering this league a long time. This is, this don't, is my 26th. Don't harp on it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's important for to make this point. This is my 26th season covering the NBA. And in the 26 years I've been doing this, going back to 1997, my first year covering the, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers, no, there's never been anything like this. Now, you and I have both seen seasons where, like, there was the year in 2013, 14-ish range where the Phoenix Suns missed the playoffs with 48 wins. Like, that was parody of a different sort, right? That was when the West was just really incredibly good. And you could miss the playoffs with 48 wins. What we have now is a different version of parody that is bordering on, I don't know, bordering on it is it's it's mediocrity. Like the the eighth best team. Yeah, I mean it's just it it's fun. I'll say that it is fun. There's a lot of teams with um with talent, 
And, and for every bit of talent that any given team has, you can immediately counterbalance it with their flaws, right? And this, and that's, this is how you get here. This is how you have the Clippers at in fifth place with a 41 and 38 record being only three games up on the 10th place Oklahoma City Thunder, who are three games under 500. So this is not that year of like the Phoenix Suns missing the playoffs with 48 wins. Um, this is a different version of Western Conference parody. There is no powerhouse, all due respect to the Denver Nuggets and their lead, uh, you know, West leading record. There, there is no established team, all due respect to the Golden State Warriors as defending champs and, and the only living dynasty. But their record is what it is and their road record is what it is. There's never been anything like this that I've seen, Sam. Um, I believe all the research that uh, friends of ours in the league office like Evan Wash have done indicate that there's no precedent for this in the history of the NBA period, certainly not in um, the era of 30 teams. So it's fun. It's wild. I have no idea where this is going. It's, I think it's great for fan engagement. Let's just start there. Like, I don't know where this is, right? Like we are a week out as we record this one week away from uh, the end of the regular season or actually less than a week, I guess a week from today is when we actually have to file our ballots, which is going to uh, just break my brain. And we're still sitting here going, well, maybe the Mavericks can still sneak into the play-in from 11th place, um, but maybe not. The Thunder, nobody expected to be here at all. The Timberwolves have been all over the map this season. The Pelicans have been all over the map. The, the Lakers, the Warriors, you just keep going up through the list. And there's only been a few teams that have had any consistency at the very top, you know, Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento. Everybody else is in various states of, of just, you know, disarray, weirdness, whatever you want to call it. and it has kept all these fan bases engaged, if nothing else. And again, credit to the league office, because a lot of us were skeptical about the play-in fans, media like The play-in has made this more compelling. Everybody's got something to play for, and they're trying. And that matters. And then sometimes, sometimes the teams that aren't trying, like the Portland Trailblazers, who have pulled all of the plugs that they possibly have and have shut down everything. There's not even any electricity pumping into downtown Portland at this stage. <laughs> They've unplugged so much stuff. And then they still pull off an upset win um, the other day. So like, it's wild. And I, I think it's going to make for a really fun final week of the season. I, and, and I don't know where this is going to end up, Sam. I don't. I could not possibly try to predict who will eventually emerge from the play-in to be seventh and eighth. The Lakers against all uh, odds, all possibilities, all expectations. The Lakers could end up being a top six team and, and, and avoid the play-in. And if anybody had predicted that, a month or two ago, you would have thought they were crazy. Well, and let's stick with the Lakers, not just because that's what national media tends to do, but because <laughs> a your institutional knowledge, but also I, I gotta I gotta just go on record. I, I think they're kind of believable. Um, six out of seven at this time, and that's kind of you talk about fan engagement and what it, you know that's good for the league. Cool, great, awesome, more revenue. The the fans don't at the end of the day care about that stuff, but they, they do care about their teams being involved. But there's a distinction there. Are, is this engagement for the sake of engagement or is any of it legitimate in terms of what might come? And, and that's where I look at the Lakers and I go, I don't know. I, I can see a pathway here and the locals in my backyard in Sacramento won't love hearing this. But when your team, like the Kings did on Sunday, loses to the San Antonio Spurs, uh, you know, a couple games after losing to Minnesota at home. Now, Minnesota was playing well. Um, this is why the Kings are suddenly talked about as a team that is going to be targeted in the playoffs. And so if the Lakers get the Kings in the first round, you know, they certainly are capable of beating the Kings. And then from there, it's kind of all bets are off. And 
again, although I swore that we would take it east at some point, we're going to be in the west here for a minute, is like the west, everything you kind of chronicled is accurate. Nobody is standing out among the rest. And whether it's the Lakers, to a lesser degree, I think, you know, the Pelicans have won seven out of eight. Um, Zion Williamson's status remains unknown, and they've been acting as if he would get back here at the late stretches. Um, the level of uncertainty is fun, um, but more specifically, what is? how do you see this Lakers team? I mean, do you see them as being able to, to shock us all at the end here? I do. Uh, I don't know that I would be quite as bold as uh, my friend and former colleague Chris Mannix in saying the Lakers I are saw winning at all. Saw that. Um, on a big platform, but, too. It was on Cowherd, right? And he put himself uh, he out there. Okay? He probably did. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that, that's bold. But listen, I, I, if I'm not that far, I am in, the, I, I, I will say I'm, I'm in, in this spot where it's, it's not just, oh, puncher's chance, which was what people were saying earlier in the season of if they could make the right trade, could they have a puncher's chance? They've got more than a puncher's chance. Like Anthony Davis has been playing at just an outstanding level, dominant level. And LeBron is still LeBron. Um, in long enough stretches to matter. Take those two alone. And the, the supporting cast is now really important, right? Because they had a they had a crappy supporting cast. They made a bunch of deals right before the trade deadline that gave them an actual functioning supporting cast, which they should have done last summer at the latest. Uh, it took them too long. That's why they've been in this predicament. But kudos to the Lakers for fixing it uh, in time to do something. What I've said all along, and I wrote about this back in December, like don't squander any late years of LeBron's dominance, right? If he's still playing at this level, do not squander it. Find a way to give him a functioning supporting cast because in the playoffs, if you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis in a supporting cast, that makes sense. Some shooting, some defense, you'll have a chance against anybody. And that's exactly where we are now, Sam. Like LeBron and Anthony Davis, what pairing in the West would you take over them? Or what pairing in the West would you say is more capable or scarier I, I don't know that there is one. It's right. not Jokic and whoever. It's not Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr. I'll do respect to them. They're great. Um, and they're, they're they're young players who are going to be faces of this league for years to come, but they're not there yet. Love what the Kings have done. It's not De'Aaron Fox and, and right. Domo Sabonis. Durant and Booker, you can make a case. Uh, yeah, Kawhi that would Leonard's be my missing response. Paul Dr- yeah, Durant right? Like that's, yeah. that, that's the one. Um, Kawhi Leonard is missing o, Paul George right now. Just quickly on the Suns. They're 5-0 yeah. with Durant. Uh, although that Denver game, they beat Denver with no Jokic and and kind of had the offense in the mud in ways that we hadn't seen in the first three games. That was Kevin's first game back from the ankle injury. So I, I'm trying to – every time I, I start betting on a quote-unquote super team before we really see them, Howard, I, I always get burned by that. And But, yeah. man, this one, it's hard to not feel like Kevin is as much of a plug-and-play superstar as this league has. and. And and I think they're going to be dangerous, but he doesn't have, again, with all due respect to Kevin, the Lakers do actually have championship pedigree between LeBron and AD yes. when surrounded by a balanced roster with some depth like this one has reminiscent to 2020. Although my knock on the Lakers and Suns would be the same if, I, if I'm, if because we're caveating everybody, right? It's like, well, this team is really good, but so the caveats on the Suns and Lakers, I have the similar concern for both of them, which is the lack of continuity, the lack of time together, because in the Lakers case, okay, the two stars have been playing together for four years now, right? So LeBron and AD know each other very well, but the rest of that cast is practically brand new, including mo- you know most of their starting lineup and rotation has all just arrived in the last couple of months or in the last year in some cases. And so 
you know, is there enough um, time together to, to build that chemistry? With the Suns, it's, it's an even more acute problem because Durant just got there a couple months ago, then missed a bunch of games. And, you know, he'll have played, I don't know what the total is now, but what is he going to play 10 full regular season games? Yeah, I've I said this in a couple... Right. So th- here's another thing that I think is unprecedented and and will probably remain unprecedented, I think, after this uh, season is over. I don't think there's any precedent for a player of Kevin Durant's caliber or anybody even close to that echelon, a, you know, a superstar type player playing 10 regular season games or fewer for a team and then winning a championship that season. Oh, no, there's like, that just Yeah. That, 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 right. Like, I, you don't even have to look that up. I just don't think that does not happen. And it doesn't happen for all kinds of reasons, including that players like him don't usually get traded in February. But it, even if he had been there in, in October, but only played 10 regular season games because of injury, it's just not that much time to get to know your teammates. He is plug and play. They are a really talented team that I think um, is, is selfless enough to figure this out on the fly. But in crunch time, in tight moments, and I've run this by some coaches and others around the league just to test the theory because they know this better than I do. I say... Because we talk about chemistry all the time, right? And if we're going to talk about chemistry and how much it matters and the continuity and, and familiarity with each other and what you're going to do out of a, out of a timeout uh, in, a, in a tight game down the stretch or, um, you know, the way, you know, Draymond Green and, and Steph Curry have this like, uh, you know, like telepathy with each other where they just know where to be for each other at all times, offensively and defensively. If that stuff matters, then it has to matter when it's it's the opposite uh, situation, which the Suns have, where you don't have any familiarity and you don't have not been through it all together and you haven't been right. in stressful situations yet together. Like that has to mean something. So the Suns, I have a bigger concern with because it's a huge piece that they added. Whereas with the Lakers, the, the two big sure. pieces have been there the whole time and it's the supporting cast. Quick uh, slice of history on the Suns front, because I took the time to write this a few days ago and you kind of ha- you gave a hat tip to the history there. Um, the three guys that are routinely cited as midseason trades that led to titles, not nearly as prominent as Durant. Mark Aguirre going from Dallas to Detroit in February of 89. Pistons win the title that year. He plays well. Clyde Drexler goes from Portland to Houston in February 95. They win the title that year. He plays well. Rasheed Wallace being the last one, uh, Portland to Detroit with a one-game stop in Atlanta and uh, Detroit wins the title that year. Now, the one that, again, keeping it Lakers-centric with your background, the Pau Gasol one, shout-out to our, our guy, Moda Keel, who kind of reminded me that they didn't win the title in Pau's first year with the Lakers, but they got to the finals. I think it was six games. Yeah. Um, six. You know, and that that's a, that's a successful year um, for the most part. But Wilt Chamberlain, the one and only, as far as, like, high-profile elite players getting traded midseason is the one that I kind of highlighted where – the idea being if, if Wilt couldn't do it when uh, when he went from the Warriors to Philly, um, you know, then it's going to be tough for Kevin. But I, I still I'll be honest, they're dangerous. And, and the the uh, the vulnerability of so many West teams is the reason we're talking about this. And before we jump to the East, I will also say, what is what do you think is uh, the subconscious thing? I feel like we have in the media where and maybe it's in the post John Morant type of headline space where they've had a lot of off court stuff. I feel like we all continue to just for some reason not mention the 49 win Grizzlies who have won 11 out of 14 <laughs> games, have some playoff experience, have plenty of swagger and confidence. Um, I would probably add a quick thing at the end here saying don't sleep on the Grizzlies. I mean, don't sleep on any of them. I mean, I, listen, right. like I'm going to. Right. But they're I number two, like they're legitimate number two. Yeah. And we kind of skip over them. Yes. And they're going to win 50 games. They're at 49 and 29 as we speak with, you know, a few games to go. They'll they'll get to, to 50. Um, 
the Kings still have a shot at 50 themselves. They do, yeah. Um, we, so we could have three 50-win teams atop the West. And when you pull people around the league, and I'm sure you've done the same, Sam, they're they're just as likely to pick the Suns, the Clippers, or the Warriors to come out of the West as they are any of those three teams. And in fact, I have yet to have somebody tell me they that they believe it's one of those three teams. Like, I've asked it as an open-ended question. Who's coming out of the West? And I have yet to find somebody say, it's the Grizzlies or it's the Kings or it's the Nuggets. And those are the three top teams. Again, when we talk about the unprecedented nature of this season and the parody, that itself is unprecedented. The idea that the clear top three teams by record are not the teams that anybody truly believes are going to come out. It doesn't mean that they won't, folks. It is just not, no one's insulting them. It's right. just that these teams have no track record of postseason success. The Kings, as we know, haven't been there in a hundred years. The Grizzlies are, are still a team on the rise. They're uh, missing some key players. They've gone through some weird stuff in the last several weeks, as we know. The Nuggets just don't inspire much faith from anybody. The Nuggets and the Kings both have you know subpar defenses based on historical standards. The Suns, we've just talked about all of their volatility or, or just the newness of them. It's just hard. It, it's hard to place uh, too much faith in any one of these teams. And that being the case, you end up defaulting to the known quantities, right? Well, Andrew Wiggins, it looks like, is coming back soon for the Warriors, and they've got Gary Payton playing again, and they've still got Steph, and Clay is better than he was a year ago, and Draymond's still playing at a high level, and Looney's still playing at a high level. Well, why not the Warriors, the defending champions, no matter what their record or their road record says, right? So we default right. to the familiar in this case. And I think that's what's going in the Lakers' favor, too. Like, they won a championship in, in recent memory, and we've just been waiting for them to put some functioning players around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Right. And they're there. They are there. All right. Uh, you have the Brooklyn Bridge behind you, which gives the YouTube viewers a pretty good idea of, of where you're based. So let's throw to the east and, and give me your quick thoughts on this one. I think it's very different. It's not as interesting on the back end of the east. And I want to get to MVP here and get your thoughts on the top end of the east, some of their stars. But if you look at the standings as of today, Howard, to me, uh, in that same vein of teams on the back end that look dangerous, the Knicks we're checking every box until Julius Randle got hurt. Um, you know, 46 wins playing well, beating good teams. Uh, from there you got the nets and, and they're kind of one of a kind season at 43 wins, Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, the, the heat championship pedigree wise would be a candidate, but the, you know, they now let's see, what is it here? 35. They've lost, uh, six out of 11, not playing real well, three out of four. Um, you know, how do you see the back end of the East and the question of if anybody's actually going to make noise? So I guess we have to define noise. <laughs> the Heat were the team that I had my eye on most, right? If there was going to be a lower seed that the top seeds just don't want to see in the first round, it's it's the Heat because, you know, Jimmy Butler's a badass and Kyle Lowry, whatever's left in the tank, he's going to throw it at you. And Bam Adebayo is tough. And Tyler Hero is going to make big shots. And it's just, it's the heat, man. Like they have an aura around them and it's earned. And we know that they save their best for the postseason. They've had some stumbles even within the last week that make me wonder about that. Where, you know, at one point you thought, okay, they're cranking it up. They're going to go grab the sixth seed. Boy, the Sixers are not going to have a fun time in the first round with Miami. What if the heat knock them out? Um, but right now it's looking like the heater kind of settled into, into playing range. And now that said, 
I, I still don't want to see him in the first round, but if they're like they to the extent that any of the top teams have some some um vulnerability, clearly the Sixers are the most vulnerable of the three, right? More so than Milwaukee and Boston. And nobody trusts James Harden in the in the postseason until he proves otherwise to us. But if the Heat are now settled into into playing range and they're gonna grab the seventh or eighth seed. How long are they really going to last against Milwaukee or Boston? Sure. So, so, so I don't like the Hawks aren't scaring anybody. The Raptors and Bulls aren't scaring anybody. The Nets, like great respect for what the Nets have been able to do after blowing up a a, a plausible contender at midseason. A lot of good players, but they don't have the superstar to make any real noise. And I don't know what to make of the Knicks without Randall. um, Although they did just spank the Cavaliers the other day, and they're going to see them likely in the first round. And that's going to be a fun four or five. But, you know, it's the NBA. The four or five matchup is not an upset. If the five beats the four, it's not an upset. You know, sure. that, those two teams are always very close by definition. Well said. Well said. All right. Let's talk MVP because you kind of just hit on the top of the East. And this is the portion of the program that I would call, you know, welcome to Sam's professional therapy segment because I just need help on, you know, in many ways, holistically, but certainly on the MVP race. And I'm, basically work in the room and getting as many opinions as possible. I wrote a piece last week where I've never really done this, where I just threw it to the readers, like fill up the comment section, tell me what you think, because the Giannis Embiid Jokic MVP debate rages on. And it seems like five minutes ago that the Nuggets had lost. I think it was five out of seven games. Jokic had a few games that were substandard and the, the kind of idea, I hate the word narrative, but it is narrative. Like the narrative became that he had lost ground and Embiid surged past him uh, and Embiid was just playing like a monster and the Sixers were winning. Well, now we look up and the Sixers have lost five out of eight, including on Sunday. I know it's one out of 82, but we do pay attention to big games. And and on Sunday, you know, the Bucks have a relatively easy time with the Sixers in the in the Giannis-Embiid matchup. Um, the line from that game in terms of the, the uh, superstars, we've got Giannis with 33 points, 14 boards, six assists, a steal, three blocks, plus 21, you know, pretty monstrous numbers. We got Embiid at 28 points, uh, nine boards, five assists, and a minus 10, uh, no blocks, no steals. So it's one game. It's a moment in time. Uh, but let me go more big picture. Just where, what is your personal kind of journey, if you will, Ben, on this MVP race in terms of where you were early on, midseason, now, and and how do you see all of it? Well, like you, I, I imagine I, we haven't talked about this, but I, I imagine we both participated on, in all of uh, the Tim Bontemps straw polls. Yes, uh, I did the second one. I had to apologize to him for the first one. I got cranky and didn't feel wow. like helping. Look, look, look <laughs> at you being a dick to our friend Tim Bontemps. Um, <laughs> so uh, Just being honest, <laughs> uh, uh, unlike you, I was a good friend and, and I did responsible, the second one. <laughs> and I've participated in all of them um, all in various strange states of mind. Uh, to be honest, um, I gave a different. I what does that mean? It sounds person. like you were a burning man, like burning incense <laughs> while you voted on MVP. <laughs> various states of mind. Wow, Howard Beck. Uh, Well, I I meant more like it's stressful when he hits me with these because it's always like, you know, hey, uh, can you do the straw poll? When do you need it? Tonight. It's five (laughs) o'clock. Like, and he's always like, don't go looking at basketball reference. Don't do any research. It's just it's just a snapshot. Don't think because like actually our our first Bon Temps impersonation on this podcast. By the way, nice job. I, I was I was kind of going easy on it. I didn't really want to do it. I'm I'm there. There is one in there, but I'm not I'm not going there. Come on, Adam. Um, <laughs> You got to say, buddy. 
Um, so I, 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 to his credit, it's it's the good coaching by Tim Bontemps actually when he says, "Don't go researching this," because the idea is not to do what we will do in the in the in this week. Like this week, we will all have. 5,000 fucking tabs open on our browsers, looking at a 1,000 different spreadsheets and basketball reference, uh, uh, you know, versions of that, NBA.com stats, all this shit. It will be stressful and, and, and time-consuming, but it's worth it. It's the responsibility we take on, and I think we all treat it very seriously, so listeners should know that. During the straw poll, um, as Bontem says, don't go that deep. Just what's your snapshot? And I think... I think I had Tatum at the top, maybe back in December. I think I had Jokic the second time. And then the one last week, I think I did Embiid. Um, but I, I'm not sold on that. And I don't even like doing it that late in the season because I feel like I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I'm wedded to any position that, well, how, how did you change it in two weeks? Well, it's just a straw poll in that case. I'm not doing all the research. So... Um, it's hard too, and I told, and I guess to give my quick experience of the latest. I one, also might have had a drink or two, by the way, to the, to the altered states of mind. I might have had is, a drink there or two. It is. The, I was trying. I had to get some that friends in town. Friends were in town. Bontemps just hit me with a straw poll at the same time. You know, it, it's anyway. Howard Beck only votes for Joel Embiid when he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so I had uh, Embiid as well, and and I uh, I sent. I'm looking at my text here. I sent Tim a note. That it, it's like you said, uh, it's it's a little uncomfortable because you're kind of sitting there going, "Wait, I'm about to do a lot of a lot of homework. I talk to a lot of people on the I'm real gonna, ballot. Yeah, yeah, on the real ballot. And but then you feel like, for the purposes of their poll, which has you know, to Tim's credit, has created its own space in like you know NBA pop culture and like real part of the conversation. Um, you feel like you you short shrifted the process, uh, no pun intended, and gave up your vote. So I I wrote Embiid, Jokic, Giannis. And I might flip it <laughs> like that's where I am. And honestly, as I sit here on this Monday, you know, I, I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I was on Giannis and, um, you know, I still think that's a possibility. And it's funny because, you know, there's so many ways to break this thing down and we're not going to spend the next 20 minutes on it. But it's, you know, a lot of folks, especially former players, a lot of times like to say best player, best team, real simple. That's all there is to it. You know, like when Chris Paul got a little bit of love uh, a couple of years ago. There was people saying, oh, he should be the MVP. Son's best record, best team. I'm not typically a believer in that. It's a lot more nuanced. Giannis is a tricky one because I'm looking for separators. And there's, to me, uh, I do find myself after voting for Jokic the past couple of years, maybe this is a flawed line of thinking. I, I, I'm i ready to like make sure we acknowledge the defensive side of the floor again. And Jokic is a capable defender, but these guys are elite. And that obviously means that Giannis and Joel get, uh, you know, hat tips in that regard. But Giannis is best player, best team, and, you know, doing historical things from a production standpoint. Um, you know, even anecdotally, you talk to his teammates, you talk to their coaches, and, and you talk about value. Um, he checks all those boxes. We we have an anonymous player poll, Howard, that's coming out, and I'm sneak previewing a little bit of that. You, you One of the questions is to NBA players, if you could start a roster from scratch right now, who are you picking? I don't know the final tally, but in my conversations with players, it's like, man, I keep running into a lot of Giannis. And for MVP, there's some part of me that's like, man, we've seen him do it on the final stage. We know who he is. He's become a modern day, you know, great. I mean, I don't want to put him in the same thing as that Wilt, but like he's he's doing Wilt type things. 
and you know russell type things and uh you know i don't long rambling way of saying i don't know where i'm gonna land but uh but man these guys have been great it, it's a true three-way race and again i i will emphasize this part of it i want to act, accentuate the positive here um it's a true three-person race they are all worthy there's no wrong answer here and we don't have that happen every year. There are years where we've had, you know, we've had unanimous MVPs. We've had a near unanimous MVP a couple of times. LeBron was one vote short one year. Shaq was one vote short once. Steph has, of course, won unanimously. Um, we've had years where it was very, very clear. And it was a race for second and third. I think this is a true three-person race. I know some people will disagree and they'll say, you're crazy, it's absolutely Giannis. It's you're crazy, it's absolutely Embiid. It's more like the Embiid and Jokic camps. The Giannis camp has been kind of mellow. Uh, to I think to their credit, they're not they're not thumping everybody over the head. A, okay, with so that I'm gonna jump about, in super fast. You just surprised right. me because to me, it's the Jokic camp. This is the only one that has been coming my way. On you're crazy. It's not even a conversation. No, the no, come on. The Embiid camp has been just as off the rails. That's I mean, true. starting with starting with our friend Daryl Morey. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Daryl. This is at least the second time in the last week I've been on a pod, podcast. Let it go. Noting call everybody. Your, out. Drew Hanlon. I respect it. True. He's got a lot of respect. Yeah. Drew drives but, me nuts. But that's on the thing. So the advocacy on behalf of Embiid or Jokic, not so much with Giannis, the advocacy on behalf of those guys has gotten a little too much, right? We've all seen it over the course of the last several weeks. We don't need to revisit all of that. Um, but what I would say to them, to the general audience, to, to NBA fans, this is a true three-man race. They all have incredible cases to be made. And what what the the uh, job for you and I is, Sam, in these last days of trying to figure out what our actual ballots will look like as voters is, is there a separator? You you said it yourself. You used that word, I think, separator. And that's what we end up doing in close races. Okay, what differentiates? And you can differentiate in any number of directions, right? Jokic is by far the most efficient scorer. And when you start classifying his stats based on certain measures within uh, Basketball References stat head tool... Jokic is like historically great offensively, right? And if you start looking at all the advanced stats, there are people who are very, very big on the all-in-one stats, which they don't understand. They just know their advanced stats, so therefore they must be uh, infallible. They're not. Um, he leads in all the advanced stats. He must be MVP. Okay, but those stats don't account for a lot of things. They do have their biases baked in, and it doesn't account for defense, and clearly the other two guys are better defensively. All right, but we don't have defensive metrics that are that accurate, at least not in the public sphere. So how do we, you, what can we say in Embiid or, or Giannis's uh, case in their favor as a defensive metric, since we have such poor defensive metrics publicly, to offset how much more efficient Jokic is, right? So this is where you, this is where I end up in these circular arguments, even with myself. It's, tr you're trying to parse out, you're trying to differentiate, um, and then sometimes guys just eliminate themselves on games played. And at one point, Giannis was pretty far behind the other guys. But he's only two games behind Embiid in games played now. And because Jokic has been missing a bunch of games lately, Embiid's only three games behind Jokic now. So games played is not going to be the, the separator. Do you have the Not to put you on the spot. Yeah, it's Giannis has played 62, Embiid 64, Jokic 67. That is not enough of a spread to me to be to be definitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but... But well, because for I mean, me, I don't know about you. Jokic five Jokic's, more games than Jokic's availability the last couple of years was absolutely a factor for me. Um, and to your point, of course it was. Yeah. Yes. And to your point, he's I, he's losing that card. I should note, uh, last year I voted for Giannis. So the first year Jokic won, I voted for Jokic. Last year I voted for Giannis. 
Um, that was based in large part on Jokic being on a team that didn't matter. I, a very simple thing here. You talked about the the rubric of you know best player and best team. I don't believe in that, but I do think it's 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 almost like a platonic ideal. Like if we could give MVP to best player and best team every year, that's kind of what you're looking for. The MVP should be a really really great player on a really great team. Uh, where the player and the team are both having a great season, right? Like that's, I think everybody would agree on that general description of what the MVP is and has been in this league for for most of its existence. So that's what you're looking for, but it doesn't always work out cleanly that way. And so it becomes this sliding scale. Right. But Jokic, his team just didn't win enough games last year, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a big believer in the 50 plus wins. I'm a big believer that your team has to matter. You have, the MVP does not come from like, Oh, this player had an outstanding season on a team that finished eighth. You have to be on a team that mattered. And I will always stick with that. And this year, Jokic's team does matter. They're leading the, the Western Conference. So I, I can't eliminate him on, on the thing I eliminated him on or downgraded him on last year. I can't eliminate or downgrade Embiid based on the games played measure that that has hurt him in past years because he's only three games shy of Jokic right now. Um, and all three of these guys have been outstanding. All three of their teams are plausible contenders. So for me, it, it's a it's a it's a true conundrum. I don't know where I'll land when we file these ballots on April 10th. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, to your point about Denver, yes, you know, number one seed in the West is is you know that checks that box. But I'm always a sucker for looking at the scope of the league as well. And and so they are one game ahead of the Sixers um, and five. Is it five? Uh, six behind. No, I'm sorry, Ford behind the Bucks. And to take it back to the Giannis thing, it's, you know, um, I think he's got a good case. And I even noticed my last point on this front is, you know, I, I do pay attention to folks in the media, just how they see it and, and how some of their opinions might change over time. Michael Wright, friend and colleague at NBA.com, does MVP rankings where he dives in deeper than anybody on a consistent basis to have this debate. It's a kind of a main placeholder story on their site. And and he flipped and beat in I'm sorry, and beat in Jokic the other day. He's got Jokic up top in this latest poll that got my attention. Uh, ben Golliver, the Washington Post, just put something out today, I think, where he's got Giannis up top, Jokic second, and beat third. And then Kendrick Perkins, who obviously we don't need to go all the way down that road, but but Perk obviously took this MVP conversation to a a, a fairly uh, uncomfortable, toxic place uh, with with some truth in there that was worth talking about. It's it's fine. We've kind of unpacked all that, but Perk now, as far as his MVP vote, uh, is saying that he's got Giannis and that Giannis is being overlooked. Um, I, I think I might be leaning in that direction. So we will see where it goes. Um, let's shift quick gears question. here. Quick, yes, sir. What do you got? Quick question before we leave the topic, though. What was the single best argument that the fans made when you put this out to the public and you said, help me out? What, like, <laughs> do you, was there anything that stood out? Like, what was the what was the best, whether for whoever, it doesn't even matter. What was the most interesting? Man, uh, my answer is going to suck because you're putting me on the spot. And, and basically, it was like a thing I put in my back pocket that I will be unpacking this week. Like, I did look at some of the comments. Um so I don't have a specific answer to cite. Okay. Um, it it is, you know, it's something that is now part of what I'll be revisiting this week. So I don't, you know, now the okay. readers are going right. to think I didn't Fair take enough. their stuff for real, but I will be going back <laughs> to enough. it. I actually I put had, you on the spot. That's on me. You did. I had one reader hit me uh, on Facebook Messenger of all places. That was like, you know, you said you were going to update this. You haven't updated. I'm like, all right, sorry, I'm I'm failing in my MVP duties. But it's really a hard one. Um, so, you know, but that's, I'm, I enjoy voting. Uh, I'm honored to vote. So we'll see what we do.
Let me pivot to Howard before we get you out of here. Uh, the big news over the weekend, obviously, you know, labor is never a real sexy topic for the fans and, and listeners and readers to dive into, but it, it matters a great deal. And uh, the good news for guys like us who have covered a labor stoppage together is that we will not be doing that. Uh, shout out Ken Berger in the old days of, of, of how you and cold pizza and all the different things that came with, with uh, stocking the union and NBA executives from outside the league offices in New York, while us West coasters just made phone calls from our homes, but you know, I'm happy that we're not going to be covering a labor stoppage. Um, and now I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but of all the changes that have been reported and were made in this forthcoming CBA, uh, which ones kind of made your, your eyeballs, uh, go wider than the rest. Um, I'm not sure that any of them did. I mean, I, I I don't know that there's any real surprises. I think the revelation that players can now invest in NBA and WNBA teams and also, I think, gambling companies is maybe that raised my eyebrows a little bit. Um, that's that's a little different. Yeah, Same cannabis companies too. Right. Uh, cannabis companies. Listen, um, like we've come a, in the grand scope of things in in our lifetimes. Uh, again, mine a little longer than yours. Uh, the fact that we are in a place where NBA players not only don't have to worry about getting busted for weed, but are now allowed to invest in in, in cannabis companies is is uh, in the grand scope of things somewhat startling, but also not startling at all, given how rapidly and and how far our country has come over the last several years um, in in legalizing weed in many forms. So. That part's like, well, whatever. Al Harrington opened up his his weed business, you know, five years ago and had David Stern on his podcast. And Stern was saying, like, yeah, we probably should revisit having that even in the uh, in the CBA. Um, so like I, that we landed there. Not that surprising in terms of like the um, the stuff that that really matters to fans. Right. Salary cap stuff, you know, a second apron like that, like what we really needed in the NBA CBA was not just to have an apron, which the vast majority of fans say, I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that right. just the thing you wear when you're baking to not get like fucking flour <laughs> on your shirt? And now we have a second apron. Like the I'm number literally of obnoxious terms. Uh, like Adam Silver as Betty Crocker with an apron and, you know, <laughs> dollar signs all over it. Every every GM now needs an apron and a backup apron because there's a second apron. Um, <laughs> CBA terminology remains uh, incredibly bizarre and and and, and, and annoying. Um, so. I don't. I don't mind that Warriors fans are are, are going to mind. Other big spending teams are going to mind. Listen, that the, that the NBA wants to try to not have the richest teams run away with um, their payrolls and being able to just simply outspend everybody. That is a longstanding goal. That is ever since the salary cap was created in like 1984, 83. That has been the goal: is to not have anybody be able to just like outspend everybody else. Um, and spend their way to, to, to prosperity. So uh, whatever, a second apron doesn't bother me. Um, I, I think if anything, like the, the one thing that, sh- that should be of interest to a lot of people is of course, that they still haven't tackled the age limit. It's st- apparently still going to be there. Right. And, um, again, I'm not surprised because I've been hearing rumblings for years, ever since the moment that people started predicting it was going to be for sure gone. And people went way too far with those assumptions just because Adam Silver signaled philosophically, he believed it was possible to eliminate it. And of course the union already wanted to, people just assumed they'd get there. It's still a negotiation. And as I've understood this for years, both sides think the other one's supposed to concede something to give up the age limit. 
And it just speaks to the fact that in the years that this has been in existence, the players have just, they can say that philosophically they're against it, but practically, pragmatically, many of them, if not favoring it, have to at least see that it benefits them. Because the second the floodgates open to teenagers, everybody who's like 34 and above becomes endangered in the NBA, unless you expand rosters. And you and I were both in the press conference in Salt Lake City at All-Star Weekend when C.J. McCollum, union president, and Tamika Tramalio, union executive director, kind of hinted at the idea that, well, yeah, if you're going to let teenagers in, we, we want to protect our older players. And so it's like, wow, they're going to propose like expanding rosters to 17? Um, doesn't seem we're going there. Doesn't seem we're getting there. I'll be curious to see what Adam Silver and, and Tamika and C.J. and everybody say when they finally announce the new CBA and speak publicly about it. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people were banking on the idea that uh, high school players were coming straight to the NBA again, and it doesn't look like that's happening anytime soon. But, hey, great for the G League Ignite and for the right. overtime elite overtime program elite. And, and everybody else, you know? Yeah. No, well said. Um, for me, I think I the apron, uh, this is probably, a, I guess, a pro-warriors perspective, there is part of me that understands, you know, Draymond was real outspoken on Twitter about his frustrations with a bunch of stuff they got agreed upon. The part where I do think I side with Draymond is uh, I do wish the league had found mechanisms to keep an avenue open for the teams that get it right, specifically when you draft well and, and you find a core like the Warriors did that clicks and that succeeds and that, you know, that is incredibly hard to do and rewarding good scouting, good re rewarding good talent evaluation and then not penalizing those organizations when you get down the line and it's working well and those guys are all becoming max players. Um, the, the Thunder obviously experienced that with their James Harden trade and other teams have paid a price over the years. Um, I, you have thoughts percolating, so jump in. Yeah, no, the, it's the Thunder. It's the Thunder. It's the Thunder. The Thunder are the best example of why the league is still fixated on this this issue I think, and I'm not saying like, I don't want to put words in, or, or thoughts in the league's uh, mouth, it, but it is this. I've always put it this way. When people say like, why, you know, you're punishing these teams. If the Oklahoma City Thunder who drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, all in a short span, if the Oklahoma City Thunder had been the New York Thunder, the San Francisco Thunder, the Los Angeles Thunder, that team might have never have been broken up, just as the Warriors have never had to break up their core of Steph, Clay, Draymond. And the, the issue the league has is, sure, you don't want to punish the team that organically built, that scouted and developed well and kept their guys and had faith in them even when, you know, Steph had his ankle issues and everything else. Yeah, that, that, that's the ideal, right? Like, nobody should want to mess with that. I agree with that. Um, and it is different than what we consider to be the like the microwaves teams, the super teams, the, the heat get grabbing LeBron and Bosch to go with Wade. Um, nobody, you know, everybody has a certain unless it's your team that did it. Everybody kind of dislikes that. We think that there's a like the 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 ideal is what the, the Warriors did. It's the organic version, drafting your own guys and developing them. And we don't we don't really like when you're trading for superstars or signing them in free agency. That's that's kind of distasteful somehow. But it's all the same in the end. In, in the in the view of the of a of a CBA or of a salary cap, it's all the same. It's still the idea that certain teams in certain markets, because of the size of their market and the benefits that come with that in terms of their TV contract and their TV revenue locally, 
have the ability to just keep spending and spending and spending, never having to lose anybody that they don't want to lose, and still being able to pick up a Dante DiVincenzo. Whereas if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, you were forced to make a, a really tough decision and you end up trading James Harden. And then eventually you you get rid of other guys too. But the Thunder, if that, if that same team had existed simply in New York or LA, never would have had to deal with that same decision. And what you also want, as much as you don't want to punish the Warriors for building organically and doing a great job, you also don't want to, um, you know, put, you know, force the, the Milwaukee Bucks or the Memphis Grizzlies to part with guys that they drafted and developed and raised, but suddenly they can't keep spending because they're not making even a, a tenth of, I'm making up a number, of TV revenue from the big uh, that the big markets do. And so that's the issue. I was going to um, say, that is the counter, is that, and, and I actually think right? it's a very good point. I'm going to argue against myself here. In the wake of the Suns getting sold to Matt Ishbia, uh, the Bucks uh, getting sold, you know, in the process of getting sold as well, the league certainly doesn't want a climate where, you know, I think owners are, they just look at the numbers. And if you put owners in a position to have to cut these kinds of checks that, you know, that the apron, the second apron is, is now mitigating against, they will, you you then might have more turnover in the ownership ranks than you want, where the, the teams are going to look at or be looked at rather as assets uh, where owners are trying to get out and, and just take advantage of that valuation rather than, spending the kind of money it might take to keep their players happy year in and year out. And Joe Lacob is an outlier. Um, Steve Ballmer is an outlier. And I think uh, the vast majority of owners are are cut from a different cloth that don't have those bank accounts that, uh, that, that, you know, where you can do that. So I do understand the other side there's, as well. Yeah. There's, there's different layers or, or there are different levels of, of billionaire, right? right. <laughs> there's different levels of super wealthy, and it's hard for us, it's hard for any of us who will never see anything like that level of wealth to relate to or sympathize with that quandary, right? If we can even call call it that. And I will say, I have heard this many times, as I'm sure you have too, Sam, because we both covered the league a long time. We know a lot of people in the, the player uh, ranks, union ranks. The, how many times have you heard somebody said, well, if owner X in this in in small market Y doesn't want to keep paying into the tax, whatever, they should sell their team. And that's the comeback from from people who support the union side of this all the time is the, you know, and it's not all billionaires, not all 30 are billionaires, but we're getting, I think, pretty close, right? Um, some of them are, are billionaires only on paper. And so they're going to come back and tell you, listen, I know people keep saying I'm a billionaire and I should just be able to cut this check, but I'm not really, I don't actually have a billion dollars or five or 10 billion like Steve Ballmer does in my bank account. And, and there are only so many multi-billionaires on the earth, on this planet for the NBA to sell to. So it's not as simple as, well, you should just spend the money in what other business. And this, this comes to, a, or, or um, brings into play in another like topic entirely or, or layer to this. In what other business, no matter how rich the owner of that business is, do you say you should spend out of pocket, essentially deficit spend, to to uh, make the books work every year, right? You count on every individual business that you own to be self-supporting and to be profitable. So if the if the owner of a given team or an ownership team has to spend out of their, their bank accounts or, you know, I don't know, sell a couple yachts <laughs> to pay the luxury tax... Um, that's that's not a functioning business, right? A business is supposed to like net even or or turn a profit, but because the NBA teams are mostly owned by billionaires, we say ah, you you should just spend. 
I would say the same thing probably if it were me. Right. Um, but I do see this. There is a bigger picture here where if that's the cost of owning a team, how many guys are going or how many people are going to want to own NBA teams if it means actually losing money every year just to stay competitive? And so, you know, that's the argument. Great stuff. Howard Beck, finally on the tampering pod. What a joy. My what favorite. Took so long? My favorite, I know, right? <laughs> Howard, uh, I had you, I've had you, had you on every pod I've ever had, so, I you know. know. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Public apology right here. Uh, I just Googled <laughs> most famous UC Davis Aggies. And I mean, I'm scrolling, Ooh. but where Mike in Murawski. the hell are you? Where are you? Mar- Deborah Harkness, uh, Lauren Cates. Who are these people? I don't see Howard Beck. I have no idea who those people are. Uh, Ken O'Brien <laughs> should be should be high on that list. Is it alphabetical? I should be near the top. I don't know. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm maybe not going to the best source. Uh, Uriah Faber, local fighter who came from the Aggies. That's that's a familiar one. Hassan Minaj, comedian. Hassan Minaj is a yes. Commentator. Yes, my fellow Aggie. Talent yes. through the wazoo. I enjoy Hassan quite a bit even though my good friend and colleague who you know, Sean Cunningham, did not. I, a quick story before we leave here. Howard, Hassan's ahead of me. I think I already told the story on the pod. Hassan's ahead of me by about 10 feet at a Kings game this season. And you know how it is. We cover these players. We don't care about their celebrity, but we get people outside of the NBA. It's okay to get be like, oh, all yeah. right, yeah, I like that person. We, we turn to total fanboys if it's like an actor or yeah, musician. Yeah, yeah. So Sean is a, a, a local longtime TV radio personality, uh, and he knows Hassan personally a little bit. And he sees Hassan and he says, hello. And I'm standing right next to uh, Sean. And I'm thinking, you know, other than Howard Beck, there's no other Aggie I'd rather run into and want to meet Hassan. <laughs> and, and I'm waiting like a little fanboy for Sean to say, this is my friend, Sam, da, da, da. And they they do the dap, they do the half hug. And he's like, hey, what's up, man? Good to see you. Da. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then he just, Sean goes, all right, man, good seeing you. And he bounces and I got nothing. And Sean, <sighs> Sean just wow. left me hanging. I know it was brutal. I can't that, wait to send that's this. That's messed up by Sean. It is. You, you won't. You want me to tell you? Should I? Should I embarrass myself for just a minute here? Yeah, like, let's hear it. To, like the the like uh, unmitigated fanboy moment, and actually it was it was somewhat tongue in cheek, but it was um, All Star Game. I don't know, maybe five years ago, somewhere when you know Hassan Minaj had really um, broken through. You know the you know the public zeitgeist, whatever. He had like his big Netflix special or whatever, yep. and he was in. I think he played in the you know he's played in, in I think a multiple of the Friday night celebrity games at All Star Weekend, right? So it was whatever that first year was that he did it, say like 2017, 18, somewhere in that range. And I'm back of house somewhere in our in our media area, and a bunch of like celebrities are now walking through, or just people. Maybe he had just played, or maybe I think it was All Star Saturday night. So just people just randomly coming through the back areas, right? So we sometimes just see folks going through and Hassan Minaj with some scrum of people around him, handlers, peeps, whatever, walking through. I couldn't resist. I just yelled out, go Aggies. (laughs) (laughs) And he, he he heard it, his head perked up, turned around and just kind of like did a quick like wave or fist up or something. Um, but could not have possibly seen who did it because I was in a, in a in a very busy media room. Um, I just had to do that. So one of these days, I will eventually meet him and I'll say, "Yeah, I'm the doofus who yelled out go Aggies in the back of house in Toronto or wherever we were." That you year. know what I should have done since he blew me off. I should have just yelled stingers up. <laughs> See, that would have been that would have been a provocative way. Like he that would have stopped him in his tracks, right? Because then right. it would have been like, "Wait a minute." Uh, is this true, by the way? And I, I keep saying we're going to rap, but but this is great. Um, is Adam Duritz an Aggie? County Crows fame? No, he's 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 Cal. 
He's Berkeley. That's what I, I thought. All right, this this is a bad. Went to list. school with went I'm to school to with uh, the great here. Mike Silver. Adam Duritz went to school. I knew with he was a Berkeley guy. Nice. I just didn't. Maybe maybe he went up the road to get some education. Um, all right, Howard. Uh, thank you for finally <laughs> coming on. I'm sorry it took so long, and and I waited until you had your Malik Monk band aid to come join me. Uh, I appreciate you. <laughs> great seeing you. Great commentary as always. Can't wait to see what you have next. And uh, thank you to the listeners as always. We will talk to you next week. 